This week's podcast topic is another groundbreaking study thanks to brain tissue. And I'm sure I probably could have been a little more creative or scientifically adept at creating a title for this podcast. I know I can be kind of pithy sometimes, but this another groundbreaking study thanks to brain tissue was in fact, in my opinion, the best way to describe a new research study that came out this week. And when I say another, it's because I don't mean to diminish the contributions of dozens of other research projects to help understand autism using brain tissue of people with autism. It's because this one especially makes a unique contribution. Not necessarily because of the topic, which is important, or the originality, because it kind of has been done before on a smaller scale, but it really helps people with autism understand their symptoms, how they are similar, and why they are unlike other psychiatric issues. So let me explain. The study got a lot of media attention last week, and I was thrilled to see that, so I hope you saw it. Sometimes research studies get a lot of attention because they have a very savvy PR department, and you know what I'm talking about. But sometimes it's because they make a major contribution. And also, the findings may be so important because they can only be made using very rare resource, either a large epidemiological study in a foreign country, a new statistical analysis package that needs large data sets, or a new machine or technology that allows for the visualization of things that were previously unable to be seen. This is the case with things like whole genome sequencing. In this case, however, the findings were made possible because of the donation of brains from individuals with autism whose families saw the importance of research studying the brains in hopes that they could make discoveries just like the one I'm going to talk about. Last week, Dan Geshwin's group published an analysis of human brain tissue from individuals with autism, schizophrenia, bipolar depression, alcoholism, and he also used some guts of people with inflammatory bowel disease as a comparison. I'll talk more about that later. He didn't get all the tissue from the autism brain net, of course, because autism brain net focuses mostly on autism, but it came from research consortiums all over the world studying different disorders. And of interest, he didn't necessarily take the samples themselves and do the primary analysis. He took data on previously conducted analyses where that was possible on genetic transcription in specific brain areas. These labs did do their own replication analyses, meaning when they found something interesting the first time, they did it again to make sure it wasn't a fluke and something they would repeat if they recreated the experiment a second time. This shows you if the effect is real. If you study it again with the same result, this is how science is built up. If you did an experiment today and got a result, you should be able to do that same experiment again under the same conditions in 20 years and get the same result. So this topic, genetic transcription, what is genetic transcription? Well, I'm not a geneticist, but maybe that's a good thing because I'm going to try and explain it to people, hopefully, that are not listening to this who are geneticists. I hope you all don't have a sophisticated understanding of genetic transcription. It's our genetic makeup that codes for different proteins. It determines things like our eye color, our hair color, our height, and yes, specific mental conditions. So first, there's genetic codes. That's the set of amino acids. And when you hear about genes being mutated or having copy number variations, that's where they're talking about. This series of amino acids makes up that double helix called DNA, which is in the nucleus of your cells. But then how does that turn into a protein that, say, causes eyes to be brown? Well, first, because DNA is a code, it doesn't necessarily create the protein. 
something called messenger RNA does. The messenger RNA is a pretty much a copy of the DNA. It also has similar amino acids. Now, this is what makes up the protein, the messenger RNA. It goes out of the nucleus of the cell and makes the protein where it needs to be made. There are a lot of things that can disrupt gene transcription, epigenetics, for example, but let's hope for the best and try to make this as simple as possible. You don't end up with a number for gene expression. You essentially end up with a pattern. So are genes expressed at high levels? What's the level of the messenger RNA? Is it higher than what you would expect, lower than what you would expect, and then lower or higher than what? Someone who doesn't have a particular psychiatric condition? A few years ago, this lab studied the comparison of gene expression in a few autism brains to see how different genes were expressed and how they fell into different patterns. As one went up, for example, did another go down? Did one go up compared to those without autism? Did the expression of other sets of genes go down? Are those differences seen in autism brains that are seen without autism? Are there any differences in typical brains not seen in autism brains? Are there groups of genes that are down-regulated together? These are a lot of questions, and obviously it takes some pretty sophisticated analysis techniques to do this. Recently, the Geschwind Lab at UCLA with collaborators took it one step farther. They analyzed even more autism brains and then compared the expression patterns in those same brain regions of people with schizophrenia, bipolar depression, major depression, alcoholism, and they looked at inflammatory bowel disease. They looked at some of the bowel tissue as a comparison to the brain. Now they can look not only how the genes are expressed in these different disorders, they're able to look at the degree of similarity compared to other disorders and whether the same networks were involved or not, as the case may be. The investigators saw similar patterns of brain genetic expression in autism, schizophrenia, and bipolar depression. So those three conditions were somewhat similar, but they were not similar to alcoholism, major depression, or the bowels of people with inflammatory bowel disease. For the couple of people that pay attention to this podcast, this may not be entirely surprising. A 2016 study showed similar expression patterns to schizophrenia, but not bipolar depression, but it did use fewer samples. So this being the largest study of brain tissue so far may be more accurate. The expression patterns were similar. I say they were similar, but I also want to emphasize that no two disorders had the same exact expression profile. The authors actually published their article on a preprint server, meaning that it was published before it was peer-reviewed, and so were the graphs. So I'm going to post the graph I want you to see in the podcast summary. You'll be able to see that they were able to categorize different expression profiles into groups. In autism, one node of different genes was elevated to, say, three. In bipolar depression, to, say, two. And schizophrenia, to, say, one. They were all elevated, but they weren't elevated to the same level. The other disorders didn't have an elevation in the same group of genes. So they were able to show similarities, but not completely replicate it. That's not really surprising, right? People with bipolar depression and people with schizophrenia are different from people with autism. They also grouped the genes according to their type of function, whether they worked on the function of the neurons, the function of the synapses, where neurons connect with each other, the immune system in the brain, or what's called the glia or support cells. 
the researchers could better identify what particular networks are affected differently and how. Those genes having to do with neuronal function and the activity of different brain cells to connect were turned down across disorders. But on the other hand, those having to do with the immune system were turned up in autism and just autism. So this shows some commonalities, right? There seems to be a dampening down of cell activity and neuronal functioning in autism, but a kind of a ramping up of the immune system. A lot of comments on Facebook has said, um, no, duh, people with autism know they're similar to schizophrenia, but we're also very different. And I totally get it. This may seem like common sense, but I'm not sure it's been demonstrated to this extent scientifically. It's one thing to notice features that are similar to another psychiatric condition, and it's another to show in the brain that there are actually neuronal signatures that are similar. Differences? Well, yeah, of course. Nobody expected that the gene expression profiles would overlap completely. That's why someone is diagnosed with autism and not schizophrenia. So to make sure, again, that these findings were real, they compared the way the genes were structured, as in, was the actual DNA changed? A gene that is not mutated or has an epigenetic tag or changed in any way should have expression that's typical or more like an undiagnosed brain. A section of DNA that is changed somehow should also have changes in expression. And guess what? That's what they found, which validated these findings even more. Putting this all together, these gene expression patterns may be ways to define different diseases. The rub here is that brain tissue expression patterns will never be used to diagnose autism versus another disorder that ship has sailed. But they would be able to do that in blood. But before moving to blood, it's important to show that the process is present and replicable in the organ of interest, the brain. It explains autism symptoms and hopefully helps people understand their symptoms better than they did before. And it provides even stronger evidence that autism may lie on a continuum of different altered brain functioning rather than it being a condition that stands alone. This suggests that we should revisit some interventions for bipolar depression and schizophrenia for autism. Now, antipsychotics are already been used for some associated symptoms of autism, but they haven't really been found effective in treating core symptoms. Maybe we're just not hitting the right combination. So what can you do to help this area of research? Well, I'm glad you asked. Register for the Autism Brain Net. Register to get more information. Register to learn more about these types of studies. Go to takesbrains.org forward slash sign up. There is a link to the preprint and the um, graph in the ASF podcast summary. This means it may be different than the final version. However, you can access the preprint version, but do not take every word as the absolute truth. This project went through extensive peer review before it was actually published in a scientific journal. It's likely it went through many edits, but I'm going to share it with you in the podcast summary. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to sign up for the Autism Brain Net at takesbrains.org.